You are listening to a Whitebridge Baptist Church sermon podcast. Well, brothers and sisters, we've been studying uh, David, and uh, it's been a great time to be able to uh, slow down and, and look more deeply at David's life. And um, today, as we, as we look at him again, we're, we're in a season in 1 Samuel 21 to 24 in there. We're in a season of David's life that is, is, an, is, a, is a hard time. Going through a lot of faith testing, we would say. I, uh, I had an experience, Pat and I had an experience happen in 2008 when we were uh, missionaries in Bolivia. I was tasked with the uh, responsibility of monitoring funds that were coming from Canada and uh, matching funds that were being given by the Bolivian Baptists themselves to build a new bibliotheca, a new uh, library for the, the seminary. And so if you could just put that one slide up. Um, the, the building was being added to the main building. And we had a problem because in the middle of the contract, our contractor disappeared. He just up and left. And the project was half finished. And we found a new contractor and he said, I'm not touching that project until I know. And he, the main thing he focused on when he examined it was that the second story cement floor, he did not know if that would bear the dead weight of books or the live weight of people in the library. So he says, I'm not touching that. And then he described that these are the kinds of tests you can do. And you engineer types would know the kinds of tests that you do to a concrete floor to make sure if it's viable to actually put the weight it's required to, to bear on. Well, on a Bolivian budget, we couldn't afford to do that. And so he came up with a secondary plan and he said, here's another thing you can do. And so we had a whole bunch of yards and yards of, of sand delivered to the seminary. And we had the students with ropes and buckets hauling the sand up to the second floor. And there you can see the picture. That's just the beginning. I didn't get a picture at the end. Mountains of sand on this floor. And the contractor, somehow with strings and different ways, he, he measured over a two-week period the stress and load-bearing uh, response to the, to the weight on top. At the end of two weeks, he gave us clearance. The students took the sand down, got rid of it, and we were clear to go ahead. What's the point? The point is that we did not, we had no way of determining how strong the floor was until it was tested. And you and I have no way of determining how strong our faith is until it's tested. There are t- times when I, in my life I've, I've felt like I'm doing pretty good. I, I'm kind of maturing in my faith. I, I pat myself on the back and I think I'm growing. And then a faith test comes. And the size of my faith that I have in my mind, the reality kind of comes down to about maybe half the size. Have you ever had that experience? Faith tests end up giving us a dose of reality. David, in his life that we're looking at in the scriptures, is going through an incredible faith test. And um, the Bible says in James that the testing of our faith is necessary because it has to produce some perseverance in us. Doug, Pastor Doug preached a couple weeks ago on Psalm 34, and he talks about 
David writing at this time of a low period in his life when, when God delivered him from all his fears that the faith test was doing its work. He was tasting and seeing that the Lord was good. He was finding his refuge in God. David's faith test was ramped up to high throttle because Saul began to pursue him, to kill him. And David had to flee his homeland. Now, I want you to know that if you're faith, facing a faith test, it's all about loss. Okay? Your faith tests are going to be all about loss. David, in his faith test, lost his position as an officer in the Israelite army. He lost his comfort of living in his own home. He lost his wife, Michael, who lied to her father to save her own skin. And she was given to another man in marriage. He lost the closeness of his best friend, Jonathan, no longer able to see him. He lost the opportunity to consult with Samuel the prophet because now Saul had sent soldiers to monitor Samuel's home and if David showed up there, he'd be killed. And, and one by one, we see all these, these crutches, these props, these things that gave David's life security. They were just getting knocked out from under him. Do you know that on, on a good day, we can think that our faith is doing well, but if we really examine ourselves, we're, crutch, we're, we're using crutches, we're, we're getting propped up, we've got great family life, good job, health and strength, we've got things that are flowing our way. It's hard to determine how strong your faith really is. And so David in this time is going through a severe trial. You know, he gets to the point in the scriptures where he runs to the Philistine country and there uh, he, he, he pretends to be insane. And you know, it's interesting. If you're, if you're depending on man's commentaries to determine what Scripture means, you're going to be in trouble at that point because I've got commentaries on my shelf that say that this was a stroke of genius. This was absolute wit in full, full, full form. That David was so wise to pretend to be insane and get delivered. And I've got commentaries on my shelf that say this was the lowest point in his life. How could this man of God run to enemy territory to seek refuge when God was to be his refuge. So we, we got to come to this thing ourselves. I'm not going to tell you what to think this morning about David. I just need you to know that as you study the scriptures, you're probably going to see that at some point along the journey, the narrative of David's life, he stepped over the line of faith and obedience and he started to find refuge in things that were not God. And that's what you and I are tempted to do as well. We are tempted to look elsewhere. It's about loss, fear of loss or loss, health, friendship, loved ones, control of our lives, influence, safety, security. Circumstances can come to us in the form of faith tests that turn us to decline God's refuge and look elsewhere for refuge. And where we turn says a lot about our faith in God. And so we can relate to David can't we? we? It's hard to sustain a long obedience in the same direction. And it's hard not to depend on some of the crutches and the props that God gives us. Where are you inclined to run to on those days of faith tests? Well, I want to take a look at the narrative briefly. I want to tell the story quickly. We're going to look at two things. We're going to look at David on a bad day. We're going to look at David on a bad faith day. And we're going to look at David on a good faith day. 
And we're going to see what he turned to when he found faith in the Lord. If you have your Bibles and you want to take a look at chapter 21, we're going to sort of just tell the story quickly. Doug referred to this two weeks ago. And on a bad faith day, we see David run to the tabernacle and to the priest Ahimelech. And we say, well, that's not a bad thing to do. No. Except what was the reason for going? When he gets there, he asks for, for bread and he, and he asks for weapons. He ends up coming out with the sword of Goliath and he comes out with the consecrated bread. But we can get an idea that it's a bad faith day because the priest at the beginning of chapter 21 asks him the question, why are you alone? Why is no one with you? You are an officer in the Israelite army and nobody's with you. What's going on? So David lies. He says, I'm on a special assignment from Saul. He really just wants to get provisions and, and weapons. And so he gets a little bit. And uh, the scriptures tell us very specifically that in verse 9, the sword of Goliath is behind the ephod. Now, what was the ephod? The ephod was this special vestment that was worn by the priests, according to Exodus chapter 28, along with the breastpiece. And it was used especially for calling out to God, the 12 tribes of Israel, calling out to God and asking for decisions, discernment decisions to be made. Well, here is David in the tabernacle with the priest. The sword is behind the ephod. He has the opportunity to call out to God, but nothing is said in, in this scripture about David calling out to God. He wasn't finding refuge in God that day. It was a bad faith day. He was looking for refuge in other things. Now, that's just the beginning of the bad day. If you'll notice in verse 10, it says that on the same day, he flees from Saul's kingdom to the Philistine country. That's where he pleads insanity before the Philistine king. Can you imagine? I think it's insane enough to go there. He's got Goliath's sword in his possession, and he's going to the hometown of Goliath, the giant that he killed. That seems insane enough to me. God, in his mercy, delivers David. I love the, the response of the king in the Philistine country, chapter 21, verse 15. He says, do I not have enough crazy men in my country? You don't need to bring them from somewhere else. <laughs> Meanwhile, Saul in chapter 22 has gone to the tabernacle and he's found the priest. And he's interrogating them. Now, Saul is crazy with jealousy. He's lost touch with reality. And he orders that all the priests are going to be killed. Not one of Saul's soldiers is willing to do so. But there's an Edomite among them that witnessed David in the tabernacle in chapter 21. And he pulls out his sword and he kills 85 of the priests. And one of them manages to escape. And he goes and he finds David in the hill country. And he tells David what has happened. And then it is finally at the end of chapter 22. I think it's verse 22. Where David finally wakes up from his insanity. And it says in the scripture that he's responsible for their death. Why was he responsible? You see, because when he was at the tabernacle, he saw this Edomite man spying for Saul and he thought only of himself. Do you know that fear in your life will make you think only of yourself? Fear will make you do foolish things. And so the scriptures tell us that Saul kills the priests. David hears about it. 
And he wakes up from his insanity. Chapter 23 opens with a brand new day. And it is a brand new good faith day for David. It says in the scriptures that he inquired of the Lord. Verse 2, he inquired of the Lord. I want you to know there's something very interesting that happens. If you want to understand the storyline of David's life, you open up First and Second Samuel. But you don't get from those passages a lot of the meaning of the experience of David. You have to open up the Psalms to find out the personal faith storyline of David's life. And in this period of David's life, we have more psalms that were written by David than any other period in his life. Psalms like chapter 27, 31, 34, 54, 57, 142. These were all psalms that were written during this time of David's low and stressful life. I'm reading recently... Uh, last week I read the book by C.S. Lewis called The Weight of Glory. And he's got a few extra chapters of, of, of things in the book where he had given messages during the war, 1941, at different places in England. And one of them was all about forgiveness. And he talks about the need to, to run to God for forgiveness, but the need to give forgiveness as freely as you have received it. For we pray in the Lord's Prayer, Father, forgive them, our, our Father... Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And, you know, I thought about it in regards to this message. What an incredible thing, eh? Is there a safer place to go than the one who's forgiven you and you deserve no forgiveness? And that's where David found refuge in the God that continually forgave him, continually gave him a new start when he sought other refuge places and so on. And in that regard, should we, each other, not be the safe place to run to and find refuge in as fellowship, in, in fellowship as believers? Because why? Because we have forgiven each other. We make forgiveness a habit of life. Why? Because... If we don't, the Bible says you don't understand God's forgiveness of you. You're lost. The safe place is the relationships where instead of finding judgment, you find mercy. David ran to God and found refuge. We get that more from the Psalms than we do from 1 Samuel. So we have to study them together. Would you take a look in the insert in your bulletin? I'm going to drive quickly through and and I'm just going to refer to a couple of the points. There are seven things that I take from David's life on the good faith day that we see in chapter 23. And the seven things I, I would ask you to think about yourself. Because if the Lord is your refuge, these seven things will be part of your life. If you're making the Lord your refuge, first of all, you'll notice in verses 1 and 2, then you're going to be in relationship with God and you're going to inquire of him. Here's David in, in hiding and the Bible says that a report came that the Philistines had attacked a border city of Kela, and David is wondering if he should go and fight the Philistines. Now notice that David is no longer just thinking about himself. 
On a good faith day, he stops thinking just about himself and he starts thinking about the reason he was anointed as king and that is to protect his own people. And he says, it says in the scriptures, he inquired of the Lord and he said, should we go? And God says, go. The men come back and say, are you crazy? We're afraid enough here. We're not going over to the Philistines. And, and, And David goes back and he says to God again, are you sure we should go? And God says, go. I'm going to give them into your hands. And the first thing I want you to notice is that if you're if you're making the Lord your refuge, you are inquiring of God. Now, we evangelicals get into a real mess sometimes with our language. Our language causes problems because we are notorious for using the language that we have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And it's based on our conversion language. We say, you know, 10, 20 years ago, I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. Now I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But friends, the, the refuge that you need to find in God today cannot be determined by doing something 10 or 20 years ago. And if you're thinking that that's your dependency, you're, you're fooling yourself. Because he inquired of the Lord because he was in relationship with God. Even during times of rebellion and going to the wrong places to find refuge, we read in the Psalms that that tearing, wrestling in prayer was going on. He was even in relationship with God when he was in rebellion. The Bible talks about this being this intimate Abiding, remaining, ongoing, experiential, moment-by-moment relationship with God. I must confess, I've been trying to do it lately, I must confess that there are hours that go by in a given day and I don't think about God at all. That's a confession. How am I supposed to find refuge in God if I don't think about God, and how am I supposed to inquire of God without being in relationship with God? This is the kind of relationship that we're talking about. I was reading 1 John last night, and over and over again in 1 John, John talks about finding refuge in God, or sorry, abiding in God, remaining in Him, living in Him, continuing in Him, fellowshipping in Him. You see, it's an ongoing thing with God. I was sent by somebody a disturbing article by the George Barna Group, which is responsible for a lot of statistic analysis in Canada and the United States. And the George Barna Group published an article about the Christian faith and practice. And at one point in this article, it said that the millennials, which are anybody of you that are born between 1981 and 1997, a lot of people here born between 1981 and 1997, the millennials... This this article said the millennials are unfriending Jesus in droves. Why? They said because they are, their lives are getting shaped by other forces. And the trajectory of their lives are being determined by other things. The lordship of Jesus is no longer the determining factor of way, the way I live my life and how I conduct myself. The Word of God is no longer the factor. There are a whole group of millennials that are just unfriending Jesus because of other forces at work. 
I would say to all of us in every generation, do not be deceived by some decision you made a long time ago. Jesus asks that if you're going to find refuge in him, that you need to be in communion with him. And you can easily forfeit the grace that could be yours otherwise. Well, you notice in the scriptures that you heed his word. Uh, David heeds the word, not the words of men, of his men that are afraid, but the word of God. And then thirdly, you'll notice that if you're going to find refuge in God, uh, you can do it even when you're weak. Here's David at the lowest point of his life, running for his own life, and as a wounded soldier going out to the battlefield and delivering an entire city. Don't ever think that your weakness is limiting God's omnipotence. Don't ever think that because you are at a suffering, weak, vulnerable stage of life, that somehow God's put you aside and he's looking for the strong ones in the family to carry the load. No, no, no. Many times, that's when you're most powerful in the hand of God. God can strike a mighty blow with a crooked stick. I think about our own church family right now in the midst of this building matter and and seeking the Lord's will on it. And I believe that God's going to keep us off balance and keep us off center and make us feel weak and see things that are beyond our reach. Because if we somehow see things that we can do in our own strength and ability and resources, then somehow at the end of the game, we're going to take credit for it. But God says, no, I'm going to eliminate that from the equation. Because I want all the glory in the end. Amen? There's so many more things I I could share on this scripture. I want to share just one more point. And that is the fourth one, that if you're going to be walking in the place of the Lord's refuge, you need to avoid the places that will imprison you. And we see in the scriptures in verse 7 to 14 of chapter 23, That David inquires of the Lord. He says, bring the ephod. I want to know, Lord, will Saul come? God says, yes, he's coming. And he says, God, will the people of the city of Keilah hand me over to Saul? God says, yes, they're going to hand you over. And so he flees. He goes into the mountains. He finds himself in a cave. And I think the lesson that I get from this is that, that we must know the places that will be walled around, where we will be trapped, where we will be imprisoned. You know the things in your life that you're vulnerable to. And if you inquire of the Lord, God will say, run from that. Many times the scriptures say, flee the evil desires of youth. Run from sin. Run from places where you will be trapped and imprisoned. David ran. Now this was a godly running. This was God calling him to run. He wasn't fleeing the refuge that he could find in God. And so, as we think about this message, I I can't know how it is that God is at work in you, what faith tests you're facing. But I would ask you, just before we conclude, to take a look at the very last part of this insert in, in the reflection questions that you'll see at the bottom of the page. And as the worship team comes to share the last song, and then Pastor Elf will conclude with the benediction. I wanted you to just ask these questions in the coming week of your own life in God. How conscious are you of the Lord Jesus each day? 
I, I confess to you that there's hours that go by sometimes when I don't even think about God. I'm trying to change that. How, how is it? How much do you inquire of him? How do you find refuge in him instead of other places that you're inclined to run to? And what is the main circumstance in your life right now that God is using as a faith test to help you to trust him more? Would you take those thoughts into your mind as you sing this last song with us? And may God bless you as, as you ponder what he's teaching you today. Amen.